Draft 1, March 2011. Backyard, bifocals, dusk. He wishes to impel them over the fence. Seeing is pure will, pure hell, no longer a feather on the cheek. The head and neck have staked their claims. Up just so for the fine print, down just so for the unfamiliar cars. Ground no longer where he plants his feet. He has to really stand still, admit that light might, from now on, be a little stained. He's no Razan Roland Kirk. The dog stands still, but is sloping to the right. Whatever color Kirk would call the sky is going away. The crabapple has been relieved of meaning. I'm Michael Dubert. I'm a poet and writer. I'm an English teacher in the Atlanta area. I get my inspiration sometimes from looking out the window, whether it's a literal window or the window in my head. Hello and welcome to Secret Architecture, the process of process. My name is George Stave and I'm the artistic director of Stave Dance, an Atlanta-based contemporary dance company, and I'll be your host for this 10-part series. Through dynamic conversations with artists of all kinds from across the country, we're going to explore arts and culture as invisible and benevolent dictators, all while we break ourselves open and ponder the unanswerable. Hello and welcome to David Was Always Inside the Marble. This is an episode that reflects upon the actual nature of process of reimagining, recreating, reinventing. And my guests today are masters at that, and you're going to get to know them in short order. But just as a teaser, some of the things that we're going to get into today are how dance makers watch dance and do or don't get inspired. We're going to learn how Soul Train is a great choreography teacher. We're also going to discover the value of Dunkin' Donuts as a meeting place for discussions on high art. And finally, there's a beautiful contemplation of a really difficult and necessary question. And it surrounds artists of color responding to our current social climate. So we shouldn't wait any longer to meet my guests. One of my first guests uh, is truly a musician turned dancer. He has a degree in music education, and his name is Vincent Thomas. And after that degree, he made the next natural step for any musician, which is moving on to get an MFA in dance from the Florida State University. And since then, he's been writing a history for himself that is profoundly diverse and eclectic, as he is himself. His work has been produced throughout Spain, France, Greece, Italy, and throughout Northwest Europe. And as a performer, he's been engaged by Randy James Dance in New York, the incomparable Liz Lerman in Maryland, and Edgeworks in Washington, D.C. Awards for his creations are far-ranging and include accolades from organizations in Baltimore, in Washington, D.C., and from many institutes of higher learning throughout Maryland. He's the director of what I would call, and you probably call that yourself too, a multi-dimensional company called VT Dance, and this is also based in Maryland. He is now a professor in dance at 
Towson University, and it was amazing that we could nab Vincent for this time this morning. Another guest for this conversation is the director of New York-based Von Howard Project. Christian Von Howard has likewise traveled the world producing his work in Germany, Japan, Bulgaria, South Korea, Chile, Colombia, and naturally across the United States. He was a dancer with Doug Verone, Fernando Bujones, Daniel Gortzman, and Douglas Becker, just to name a few because we ain't got time to list all those other places too. Uh, <laughs> his educational background is equally impressive. He holds a BFA from Texas Christian University and an MFA from NYU. These pursuits in academia led him to his position as associate professor at Montclair State University. And with his massive amounts of free time, Christian is serving as a Fulbright specialist through the end, I suppose, of 2021. We decided to jump right in, all in. The recording of today's episode was done at 8 a.m. on a Tuesday morning in the heart of the academic year. And so amidst waking up and groggy eyes and growly voices, we decided to hit the hard questions right away. The first voice you're going to hear is Christian's, and from then you'll hear Vincent and then myself. We started off talking about what is currently inspiring to these two phenomenal dance makers. I think for me personally, I I felt like I was kind of in this... um, I don't want to say dark place, but it was really hard for me to find things that were really inspiring me or things that were pushing the envelope enough that I was like, Ooh, this is really good. Um, And I don't, I feel like, especially because, you know, I'm in the New York area, we get so much work in so many artists in we, I felt like we kind of reached this plateau where it's either the same artists we were seeing all the time or, Something, you know, someone came in and did a video installation. We're like, oh, my God, that was so good. But you're like, was it really good or was it just different? Just different. Yeah. It's uh, not the same profits we're seeing in our same city over and over. Yeah. So I think for me, it's finding something that's conceptually rich. And, of course, you want the performers to be as invested in that concept as the artist who's making it. Once those things come together... I mean, it doesn't have to be like something that's fully produced. It could be something that's in an alleyway somewhere. The concept and the performers are inside and invested in. I think it, that that's for me, that's what makes it good. Have you noticed a shift in your own work? What was the catalyst for that? And how does it feel different now? Do you recognize yourself as an artist now? Is it hard to recognize who you were when you began your companies as opposed to now? Oh, it's so funny. I, I think I go back to that word, good. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what has pushed my work and has helped my work evolve is that constant question for myself. You know, is this good for me as the maker? I mean, what I made 20 years ago is nothing like what I'm making now. My first thought is the work I was making almost 20 years ago, up to now, it feels like there is a continual through line that is evolving through that work. And so a a very clear example for me is um, two years ago, um, I restaged the very first solo I did for myself for VT Dance. 
on um, the Towson Dance Company on six different um, dancers. And in sharing this physical work and what it was about then and what it's about now, I see an evolution. So when I first made it, it was about what I was interested in and trying to understand about relationships. That theme expanded into social awareness or social justice ideas, which was then tied to tied very deeply to the frustrations and the things that uh, were being wrestled around during the civil rights movement and with Martin Luther King Jr. And so the piece took a huge shift from that original place. And, and so I find that very interesting in how when I think about my work from way back then to now, it has shifted and evolved and deepened into a more social awareness lens. I believe the opportunity to restage our older works can be a privilege. So for you, do you tend to keep restaging the same or do you alter the work to suit where you are now? Do you welcome the questions this raises for your processes? It's interesting. I I think, well, I know that I welcome that. And when I think about why and how I got to that place of welcoming it, I think about all the work that was that I did with Liz Lerman Dance Exchange and really understanding this critical response process and how it not only helps understand and see others work, but how I can then take that into the labbing of my own work. Because the whole idea is how we can we go back into the studio to make the work even better. And if I stay with that for my own practice and it's a lived thing, then I really will allow that to happen. I don't know. I have this thing where I think this was my mantra from the very beginning is never to make the same work. As I enter each work, I want it to feel like something new to me. Mm -hmm. Even if I'm restaging something, half the time I restage it differently than I created it. One, because I have different bodies in the space and those bodies bring new information, new language that either support or, you know, redirect the original concept or idea. Christian, that reminds me of even in my effort in trying to do that, I know that I lean more into the process, the processes in which I use. So I try to keep inventing new processes that feels like, oh no, this is a totally new piece. This is a different piece. (laughs) And it is because of the other angles and lens in which I'm trying to see it or create it and be, and and it does matter with who's in the room too. I uh, sort of loosely titled this conversation, David was always inside the marble, which refers to Michelangelo's or Michelangelo's uh, theory that he released David from inside the sculpture of David from inside the marble, which, um, you know, I think is humble in some ways, but I also took it to mean that uh, we get so many students uh, in our positions asking about like, well, what would you, what advice would you give to a choreographer? How do you learn this and how do you do this? And there've been plenty of books written about 
making dance and they're very sterile. That's, uh, you know, you look at Doris Humphrey's The Art of Making Dances, and this is how you organize people in space. Or it would be no different than looking at a Renaissance painting where you like put these forms in a triangle and have the eye going up towards the heavens. So it begs the question then, are choreographers uh, created or do they develop on their own? Because I think Doris is a great tool for young choreographers or um, books that are like Doris's that help you understand how to craft, craft space, craft, you know, form, shape, develop movement material. But I think, honestly, as a teacher who teaches choreography and composition, I don't use a text. You know, there might be things inside of, you know, like sonata form, canon, all those type of things that I might express in the classroom with the students, but they need to make, mm-hmm. keep making and keep developing and keep processing ideas. If you don't put it out, then you, you're actually not seeing what you're envisioning in your head. Yeah. Uh, when I think about those, a book like that, that I, I once heard like, this is like the Bible of choreography. Doris Humphrey was one person mm-hmm. who yeah. saw things through her lens of, and, and brought all that in. I have learned a lot about form by looking at what happens in my community. So I think about Soul Train. We were having a conversation last week because of, of you know, what I'm teaching in, in the, the modern class. And, you know, um, the Soul Train line, and then two people or one person goes down the Soul Train line and they're dancing their story. That's also a form of the cipher, which happens in a circle. And so I find that when I think about my... Um, dance ancestors, such as Soul Train, Solid Gold, Hee Haw, Lawrence Welk Show, um, Seven Brides and Seven Brothers, The Wiz, all those great, Michael Jackson, Fred Astaire. When I think about seeing all of that in the cinematographic world on the screen, it taught me a lot about form. It taught me a lot about where the eye goes, how circles, how diagonals are being used if we just pay attention. Well, also, I, I love this idea of deconstruction. It's mm-hmm. like you can build something up, but then what does it look like when you try to deconstruct it? Mm-hmm. And that's what I try to get our dancers to do when they're creating. It's like, just don't make pretty shapes or make pretty ideas. It's like, the information is in the building and the, the tearing down. That's the interesting nugget. I would presume a chef has trouble eating at someone else's restaurant without being biased or heavily opinionated. And I kind of think this happens in the dance world as well. So what is it like for you to be in someone else's work as a dancer or even be an audience member? As dancers, we're objectifying ourselves and qualifying ourselves all the time all the time Mm -hmm. when you go into a space where you're looking at other dancers or choreographers works you automatically go to that that lens comes out you're like what are they doing right what are they doing wrong oh i would have done this or you should have did that um and what i mean by maturing is it took me a long time to mature into a person who can actually go into a theater and just have an experience 
I find myself asking questions like, I wonder why, I wonder how, I wonder why the choreographer chose that. I wonder how the choreographer got to that. And then I try to really, you know, at the end, try to look at the whole and to find some sense in that, you know? Draft 5, February 2013. New glasses. The dog stands still but is sloping to the right. The crabapple sapling bends like a headstone. He wishes to send his bifocals over the fence. Seeing is no longer a feather on the cheek. The head and neck have muscled in. Up just so to read the ants on the steps. Down just so to read the unfamiliar car next door. Ground no longer where he plants his feet. He can't play two saxophones at once, call forth harmony from some clear-eyed past. He has to really sit still, admit that light might, here on out, be stained. Windows glow up and down the block. Neighbor kids shoot hoops by floodlight. Rubber thump on pavement, scuffle of souls. Dusk disappearing. He enters the sound. Christian Vincent and I later jumped into the quest for source material and inspiration, trying to unearth the things that would hold enough interest and meaning to make new work. So what does it take for you in terms of developing a process or landing on the thing the next thing, how do you find it? Where do you seek your inspiration? What makes you know that something feels valuable for you to pursue through movement and within your companies? I mean, for me, I, inspiration comes from every place. It comes from music. It could come from um, other art collaborations, um, but actually, I feel like currently most of my things are coming from this relationship place, like exploring what relationships are, what they can be, whether it be, you know, specific like male-male, male-female, or if it's just the larger context of what a relationship is. You know, you asked that question and, and I went like this and in my vision was my mug. Mama said there'll be days like this. And so I'm reminded of this um, residency in Singapore that the inspiration came from a coffee mug Mm -hmm. and mug shots that I did. And so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, wow, here's another mug. And this could be a piece about mama said there'll be days like this. And what, how can I excavate and ask questions of people (laughs) stories about things their mama said and how does that speak to their lives right now and what they're saying maybe it may stem from a very personal place as I think about this even more now that you know my mom passed away a year and a few months ago 
so she's constantly on my thoughts and my heart and listening for that voice. And this just might be that source of inspiration. It's both really beautiful to hear in that you're making work that really has been sparked internally from one finite moment in your lives and creating something wildly relatable. Well, I'll, I'll say as a viewer, mm-hmm. I think Vincent's work has a lot of like social, political like themes and undertones in it. Um, Does just, that ring true for you, Vincent? Does it feel like that? Yeah, it, it does. I think my framing of it is being social, uh, socially aware because if I'm socially aware, then I can understand where my justice, where that justice falls into the place. Yeah, continue. I think <laughs> I am probably the most abstract and anti-political person um, making work. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think back to, I don't know, I kind of, I keep Bill T in my head, you know, Bill, Bill T and Gus Solomon's Jr., Mm. back in the day where they were so against people pigeonholing them, like putting them in a category. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've always been that choreographer. It's like, I don't want to be that black choreographer who's doing black themes about black lives. Um, Mm. Although whatever I do is because I'm a black person. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's inescapable. Right. Um, I personally don't like to have an agenda in my work. And I think sometimes when you go down that route, people think you have an agenda or you're trying to say something, you're trying to make a point. And I just want people to enter my work. And, you know, um, Christian, it was very interesting to hear you um, speak about um, this place of relationships. And um, if it's, you know, male, male, or male, female, or female, female, or whatever the variation is. And even in that, in its wildly abstraction, I think there's some politicalness in there. Absolutely. I mean, I think there are so many hidden things that may have political nuances in the art. Intentionally or unintentionally, I think it's going to depend on the the viewer and how they see and what they've been experiencing in their life that may resonate really quickly. Yeah, I know I was doing this um, piece some years ago about relationships. I, I got into this Etta James phase and I was like, how can I use Etta to explore, you know, gender in multiple forms and not thinking, oh, this is a political statement, but, you know, I had women dancing together, I had men dancing together, and in its essence, it was a political statement, but for me, it was just about the relationship. Uh, because I, I do feel like there are many dance makers who have got that. I want people to feel this and see this and come to this realization. <laughs> I'm not hearing that from the two of you, which is very <laughs> generous. But do you know what I mean? I mean, people are like, yeah, this is what this work is about, therefore... There's going to be a protest rally after they see my piece and we're going to change Congress. I just want people to go to Dunkin' Donuts and get a donut. <laughs> but yeah, without underselling yourself, but I think opening up the playing field yes. for interpretation 
yeah. is what I'm getting. Right. From and, maybe you. At, and maybe at Dunkin' Donuts, they'll have a conversation about what they Hopefully, saw. Hopefully, yeah. And so if they can have a conversation mm-hmm. about what they saw. You've done your, yeah. yeah. But I also think we're probably a product of our training and our upbringing. Yes. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily, I, I don't see either one of us as one of those type of people who's not listening. Yes. Right. So I think our work is listening just as much as we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Christian, that, that's a beautiful way to, that I see about this social awareness mm-hmm. because we're listening. The work begins to speak that way. Can I ask Vincent a question? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> My coffee. A little sip. Um, I'm just curious about how you feel we should be activists at this point with everything that's going on in our social climate. Do you feel there's a need for us as men of color um, to be doing more things in our work to support either Black Lives Matter or any of the other socially important things that are going on now? You know, that's such an interesting question, even when you bring in the phrase Black Lives Matter, because I feel that as men of color and dance artists and choreographers, we've been doing that. Why didn't the work matter before? You know, before. And and so I think the immediate thing that we can do as artists, artists of color, as Men, as everyone is vote, right? Right. You know, because that is, you know, we have our birthright to move, and because of that birthright to move, we have a birthright to move towards the polling place and vote, right? You know, Um, when I think about the landscape politically, what's happening in this world that we're living in, that's such a good question, um, question that. I know I'm going to meditate on and, and going to want to have a conversation with you later because it's, it's, it's real. It's true. Yeah. I, I do believe that the, the, the beautiful fabric quilt of black dance art and music and visual art is so rich mm-hmm. and so layered right. that that work was speaking from our experiences Right. I feel like we've been doing that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think I, I ask that because I'm in that place of meditation and also in that place of um, awareness where something happens and then everyone feels they have to speak. When those people who, who are in the world, who are out there producing, don't speak, what are we saying by not speaking? Exactly. So that's yeah. what I'm in this place where, okay, I, I posted a few things about Black Lives Matter, but I didn't post something every day. Does that mean I'm not a supporter? Do people see that, you know? On yeah. Right. And, and I think just the, the fact that we're thinking and meditating on that is our way that's to be point. involved in our response to that. You know, if it comes 
in the next hour or if it comes in the next week or if it comes in March or next year. The timing fits so beautifully in this fabric of everyone doing something, their part, their response. I wish you could have seen the eyes of these men as they talked about each other's work, their own processes, and their hopes for the future. The love they possess for teaching, making, participating is undeniable. What I learned was that, well, not every single moment of our lives has to be a defining moment. So move, move forward and move on. I happen to think that this has been the course of the entire podcast. I've been getting that a lot from our guests. I also learned that in the cradle of academia and within the unpredictable world of professional dance, you always have your team, your entourage, and that is forever invaluable. Also of immeasurable value, in particular because of the emotional labor involved, I was deeply moved and recognized the grace afforded to me by being able to listen in while two extremely beautiful souls considered their roles in the Black Lives Matter movement. To me, this was a gift. Vincent and Christian embody a vibrancy that also belongs to noble artists of our past. It was Louise Bourgeois who in the late 20th century said, it is not so much where my motivation comes from, but rather how it manages to survive. Their collective perseverance reminds me yet again of another quote by Auguste Rodin, who said, the main thing is to be moved, to love, to hope, to tremble, to live. <laughs> to tremble and to live. I'd like to thank our guest poet today, Michael Diebert, for lending such gorgeous words to this podcast today, and also the incomparable Ben Coleman for this delicious music, and as always, the phenomenal producer and mentor, Jacob Chisenhall, who you'll hear from in a later episode, actually. So until the next time we're together, magical ahas and wonderful insights be yours. Thank you for joining. This is George Stabe, and this is Secret Architecture, The Process of Process.